0: One of the things that brings me up here today is, is what's happening with Ruth and me. We're moving to Pella, Iowa. And um, Ruth is retiring at the end of this week. And Rachel and Greg are transitioning and they are going also to Pella. And uh, yeah, we've got a few things to wrap up this week, but uh, we had to find housing in Pella. And so we began to look around And this is what we saw, first of all, there's a part of Pella. That's actually in Pella, it's a canal that's been built that kind of goes through the downtown area. And we looked for housing right on the canal. We didn't find it. There is a theater there as you can see. Then we began to look around a little bit more and we discovered that there's a big old windmill. The tallest working windmill in the United States is in Pella. And there's this nice building right next to it. So we checked into that and looked for housing there, didn't find it there. And then there's one more picture that I want to show you. The tulips, they bloom for about a week, right? Um, and, and there's the, I think this Wyatt Earp spent his boyhood in Pella. And this is the Wyatt Earp house. So we checked whether that was available for us. But uh, it wasn't. And, and so we did find something and uh, are, are moving there um, along with Rachel and Greg Truer. And uh, there for. Uh, kids as well. But I want to talk about the transforming Holy Spirit because it's Pentecost today. And, and Pentecost is a big deal. One of the things that I, I'm just doing right now is, is, is looking around one last time at all of you who are here Because for the last 16 years, you have had a role in the transforming of me in lots of ways. Uh, And that's one of the things I want to try to communicate uh, this morning. That the Holy Spirit is at work among you and that you're doing that work among each other. That you've also done it with Ruth and me. Pentecost was a big deal. It was a big deal already in the Old Testament. There were these three major feasts or festivals that the Israelites would travel to Jerusalem for. One of them was Passover. And a third one was this Feast of Booths where they camped out and built little booths for them to be in for a week to remind themselves of the travels that they had to make between Egypt and then the promised land of Canaan. And then there was this other one that was called oh, Feast of Weeks, it was called First Fruits, it happened about 50 days after Pentecost, and you remember after Passover, and thank you for the correction, after Passover, and, and you remember Passover was linked to the death and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Pentecost means 50th. And there was this first fruits feast, the first of the wheat crop, and the barley crop would be harvested, and they would then offer those in a kind of a wave offering to God. One of those offerings was at nine o'clock in the morning on the 50th day, called the day of Pentecost. So it was a big deal already in the Old Testament. and and god was using this particular day to make one of his big moves in salvation history god made some pretty big moves he created first of all and then there was the fall and then one of the big moves that we celebrate at christmas is the move of sending his only begotten son jesus christ into the world and remember how christmas gets celebrated and remembered and we uh, and, and and there's special things that go on at christmas time Another of the big moves of God happened then on Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's big things that we remember and big worship services that we... Pentecost is another one of those big moves of God. Because Jesus told his disciples that he was going to have to leave them. He ascended and 10 days ago... Would have been Ascension Day. And then 10 days later, there would be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Or or it's called the Holy Spirit would be the Comforter and the Counselor. The one who would baptize you. The one who would empower you. Now, Jesus at his Ascension told his disciples, including Peter, uh, to wait. Wait to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so they spend time in prayer. But Jesus made, God made one of those big moves when he poured out his Spirit to empower the people to be witnesses of what Jesus Christ has done. And it's on Pentecost that the Holy Spirit was poured out. It's recorded in Acts chapter 2. Let me just read for you the first fourteen verses of Acts chapter two, where Pentecost is described. when the day of Pentecost came, so this was a day when the people were gathered from all over the place to be in Jerusalem, to be at the temple, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Who's the day? the day probably if you look back to chapter one, the day probably first for sure to the uh, the eleven disciples, the apostles, plus the one who had replaced Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was the betrayer. Judas was the one who had committed suicide, and there was a meeting, and Peter said, we need to replace him, and they replaced Judas Iscariot. So they were there in one place, and then there were probably others, about 120, it says, altogether, including, interestingly, the brothers of Jesus Christ. His younger brothers were also there. They hadn't bought into this idea that their oldest brother was the Messiah. But now they were part of that believing group. And they were all together in one place. That place was probably not the upper room that's referred to. It's probably the temple area. It's referred to as the house. And it's called the house of God Um, if you look into Acts chapter 7 and verse 47 Stephen is making a speech and he mentioned that Solomon built a house for God so that that's maybe where they were what's handy there at that place in the temple was that there were all kinds of uh, mikvahs they called them they were cleansing pools that were available for the baptism of the 3000 that were going to be responding to Peter's sermon here pretty soon but I'm getting ahead of myself Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed like the tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. There was a point in Old Testament history where the people were building a tower that was going to reach all the way to heaven, and God said, no, 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 and the way God stopped that was to confuse their languages, and there was one morning, and I love telling my grandkids how this must have sounded, it was one morning when they woke up, and they were giving instructions to each other, and nobody could understand. Some were speaking English, maybe, some were speaking Spanish, some were spe- and they couldn't understand each other, and they went off into their separate ways. This is a reversal of that. Because they could hear, all of them were filled and, and, and could speak to each other in, in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Somehow, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And then he goes on to preach his sermon. He takes a text from um, Joel chapter 2. In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And then he goes on. He gets to the point where he uh, is asked, and what must we do in response to this by the people that are gathered? And he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And 3,000 people responded and were baptized. Pentecost transformed people. Pentecost transformed those who were then the church of Jesus Christ. Peter was one of those. Just think a little bit what, what Peter went through. Peter was one of those Galilean fishermen. Not much account, actually, if you were from Galilee. And Peter was one of those, and his brother Andrew had been a follower of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, at one point, you remember, pointed to Jesus and his cousin and said, now there is the Messiah. Andrew goes right back to his brother Peter and says, it's the Messiah. And Andrew and Peter become followers of Jesus Christ, along with others. There were 12 disciples I'm about to break out into a song. There were 12 disciples. Jesus called. I mean, I'll, I'll not do that. And, and, and Peter was one of those. He became one of the sort of inner circle. There were, there were things that they saw and experienced that the others didn't. One of them was on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus was transformed into a, a, a glorious white personage. And there were um, Moses and Elijah were there. And Peter and James and John were there. There was another time when Peter, James, and John were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus was praying, "Uh, let this cup pass from me. Don't let me have to do this, God, please. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Peter and James and John were asked to be supportive of Jesus in their prayer. They fell asleep. It was in the middle of the night. It was in the early morning. Jesus had said at one point about Peter, Peter, you are the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, because Peter made such a transforming declaration, confession about Jesus. Jesus had this conversation, who do people say that I am? Some say you are Moses, some say you are Elijah, you are one of the prophets, and Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter's response is, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus talks about how he is going to have to suffer many things. And Peter says at that point, hey, if everybody else runs away, I will not run away. And then Jesus has to say to Peter, you know, Peter, there'll be a day when before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. That day came. There's the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas, one of the disciples, the betrayer, marks Jesus as the one to be arrested. Peter hauls out his sword. He's got a sword. He starts flashing it around, cuts off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. And Jesus says to Peter, "Put away your sword. It's not going this way." And he, I don't know, picked up the ear, did a miracle, reattached it to Malchus's head. Malchus was healed. And Peter then later finds himself in a courtyard and he's scared because Jesus has been arrested. And there's this servant girl that says, hey, aren't, aren't you one of his followers? And Peter says, No, 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 I'm not one of his followers. I'm not one of his followers. A little later, she asks the question again. Aren't you from Galilee? I could tell from your accent, your Galilean accent. You must be one of his followers. No, no, no. And then one of the soldiers that were standing here, you are one of his followers. No, 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 cursing, swearing. No, no, no. And Peter hears the rooster crow. And he runs out, weeping. Peter experiences the resurrection of Jesus. And there comes a moment when the resurrected Jesus is on the beach, Sea of Galilee, and Peter and some of the others are fishing, and they recognize that it's Jesus, and Peter jumps out of the boat, and there is this moment where Jesus says to Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And each time, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, care for my sheep. And then Peter is here, Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit is poured out, and the Holy Spirit empowers him. The Holy Spirit baptizes him along with the others. And Peter ends up making this significant speech on the day of Pentecost. A day that introduces the gospel to so many and grows the church. A church which continues to exist. A church which includes us. A church which for the last 16 years included Ruth and me. A church in which in so many ways I have seen evidence of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some examples. And this is only one small picture that I was privileged to see, and it's an incomplete picture that I've been privileged to see as I've worked with you, as I've been with you, as I've been on staff here. I'm gonna start with the bowling that I did with Don DeWitt and Richard McManus. When he was able. And a couple of others would show up. Harold Milligan would show up. And lately Glenn Brexit shows up. And we're at Empire Bowl. This happens maybe once a month. Maybe less than that. And we bowl a couple of games. And Don DeWitt. Grabs his bowling ball. Takes his position. Swings the ball. Doesn't move his feet. Throws that ball. Awesome little hook that he has on it puts it right into the pocket and when he gets a strike Don is very serious about his bowling and when he hits when he hits a strike when he makes a strike he's got this little dance that and when he gets a split for instance and this is how you can tell the character of some people right how they respond to the good and the bad of bowling And I respond pretty badly to the bad of bowling. And I have a lot of bad of bowling. I'm a straight, okay, does it go like that? Yes. And I throw it. And Don, when he, so, Don turns around, doesn't say much. And he takes his seat and he waits for the next time. Don and I have been in times of small group, men's small group. Don, just this last week showed me a video again that he had finished that just picks up on some of the stuff that he's had to deal with in terms of his handicap almost all of his life. And I see the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in Don and it impacts me big time. Yesterday was my last time with the Saturday morning Ministry breakfast. I've been part of that pretty regularly. Don Bierman, Mike Hicks called the guys at 7 o'clock. used to be 6.30. I'm so thankful they moved to 7 o'clock on Saturday. Every third Saturday. I'm going to say it's the largest men's group that meets regularly. That's part of the river here. And what they do is find guys to help them prepare a wonderful Breakfast. And we sit down and eat together. We're maybe 25 of us yesterday. Asked Mike if I could just speak one last time to the group. And he said, okay. But what I found happening in that group is so profound and spirit transforming. Because after we have had breakfast, Mike or Don will call up who's ever giving their testimony that morning. And the testimonies that I've heard are just stories about how the Spirit has been at work in this person's life, sometimes bringing them from homelessness and addiction to a place where they now are able to be more faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And it's been transforming for me to just catch a glimpse of what God is doing in the lives of other men in this church. There's something else that I've seen. I've had the privilege of teaching a women's Bible group. It meets every other week on Wednesdays. Theora Whitman, Miriam Talsma take turns chairing the group. It's so interesting. They flip from one. There's about a 10 or a dozen ladies And we do Bible study together, and it is a group of ladies that have experienced life and have experienced losses and have wondered what God is doing in their lives. And then oftentimes, there's somebody else part of the group. Her name is Sarah Valilac. Roger Whitman goes to Riverside, goes pick her up. Brings her to be part of the group. Sarah Velilak is the wife of Reverend C. C. Valilac, And Reverend Velilak goes back to Laos, his native land. And I, as Sarah asks for prayer for him and for the church there, all of a sudden my mind gets big. It expands. And there's some things that are happening in Laos. Pastors are getting imprisoned because they're carrying two Bibles instead of only the one they're allowed to carry. They're not supposed to be distributing Bibles. They're not supposed to be carrying an extra Bible. And so they find out. The authorities arrest them. Put them in prison. And all of a sudden I see a picture of the church that I wasn't aware of. And I see the Spirit's transforming power there too. And it enlarges my understanding and view of the church. Every Wednesday morning there's a small group of us that pray. Seven o'clock. the prayer room and we kind of do a prayer travelogue through the ministers and the, the missionaries and the ministries that the river supports and again every time I'm part of that I hear about the work that the spirit is doing the Pentecost transforming spirit there's been something else that I've seen God has, has blessed me with work, with a home, with a bed, with a wife beside me, with a wife who's been faithful to me for 48 years and more, and who, and I know where I can get, go to the bathroom. I got choices of two bathrooms in our house, believe it or not. Take a shower. Food. Enough money to go get some more food if we need it. And one of the things that has struck me, and in some ways I've been touched by and involved with a little bit, is that there are folks that are sitting among us even today that don't think about those things so much. They think about where are they going to sleep tonight. They think about, am I going to be able to shower today? Where am I going to stash my stuff now? Where do I go to the bathroom? And I've been struck too by a couple The Coopers that are willing to be involved in this ministry and this work in ways that are transforming to me. It's powerful work of the Holy Spirit. This morning, we were led in praise once again. I've said this to Beth. Beth, when we came to the river... Before we came to the river, we were a psalter hymnal singing congregation. We were piano and organ. That's what I did. I picked the hymns every Sunday morning that we sang. We come here. And not only are the words on the screens, but there's a whole praise team up here. And Beth is putting this together. And is putting wonderful worship music of using songs that I had not heard of until I came here. And again, the spirits at work, transforming powerfully. The life of this church. Some of the pastors here. Bill Beerling. He was here before I was, if you can believe that. He's going to stick around. Good friend, staff member. We would do home communions. We would go to the places of people that couldn't come to the river because they were in a care facility of some sort. And it was my job to put together the communion elements. To put the the little pieces of bread and enough grape juice to fill a few little cups. And then what we did, Bill and I, we would go and, and sit with someone. And we'd have a conversation, kind of catch up on where they are. And then Bill would give a meditation. And then I would distribute the elements. And Bill would speak the words. And we would have communion together, powerful stuff. Bill accuses me of changing water into wine at one point, like Jesus did with his first miracle. We'd gone to marry an Adelson who was in a care facility in Beaumont, and uh, I was getting out and I discovered I didn't have enough grape juice anymore. And I took the water that was standing on her counter, and I put it in one of the little cups. And that became the communion wine. And Bill says, you must have changed the water into wine because Marion didn't even notice it. That it wasn't grape juice, that it was water instead. Nick Inthout, staff member. My son Paul likes to tell me that the way I live my life is, Pops, you find a rut and you stay in it. In other words, there's a certain routine that I get comfortable with. I sit with Nick, and all of a sudden, I'm not in that rut anymore. Because Nick is talking about how the Holy Spirit works in this way, and what he should do this way, and what we should be involved in here. And I walk out, and I become so discombobulated. And I just am praising the Lord for the transforming work that he's done in me through you, Nick. Pastor Scott, who isn't here. This morning he's coming back today. I think from Grand Rapids from some board work that he does, staff meetings, and in other settings. Just understanding what it might be that the river needs at this point in its history, and I'm appreciating that transforming work that the Lord is doing. And there's more. I gotta. Oh my! What time is it? Okay, stop, stop. We'll stop. Okay. All right, I could talk about the elders, I could talk about the deacons, I could talk about uh, the rest of the staff, I could talk about the count team, the missionary riders, the Crossroads Prison Ministries, but I'm going to stop and just talk about my prayer for you. I pray that you may continue to experience the transforming work of the Spirit In Galatians, we hear about the fruit of the Spirit. May you experience the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And may you be able to exercise the gift of the Spirit that He's given you. The Holy Spirit has given all of us gifts. And they're called to be exercised in one way for the benefit of others and the body of Christ. And I think I'm just going to stop here by saying some words that I said yesterday morning as well. The words of of the Heidelberg Catechism. Question and answer number one. Heidelberg Catechism, one of the documents of the Christian Reformed Church. It's one of the doctrinal statements. And it's, it's a wonderful document that gives an understanding of who we are before Christ, in Christ, and now what we're called to do. And it starts this way. What is my only comfort in life and in death? And here's how it answers it. And I hope this is also how you hear it. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood. He has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father. And a whole lot of them, I should just... Spirit has been paying attention without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. The good stuff, the hard stuff that we've sung about already, work together for my salvation. And then it says, because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen?